Amen. Well, God bless you. Welcome to everyone who's online and welcome to those that are in-house. We're continuing in our series on the study of Elijah, the prophet, and we are still in 1 Kings chapter 17. We haven't traveled very far, but we've traveled a lot of territory. And uh, we started out with uh, Ahab, or excuse me, Elijah all of a sudden appearing out of nowhere. This man of God appears and he speaks to Ahab and he declares a word to him that there would be no rain until he spoke a word. There would be no rain in the land. And, and imagine speaking that to a king, a king who believed in Baal, his Baal God who was the provider of that rain. Uh, what an insult to him. What a, what a stab at his beliefism. And uh, it would have put Ahab in that instant position of wanting to seek out the head or the life of Elijah, God quickly moves him into a place called Cherith, and there Elijah is fed by dirty animals, where the Levitical law even tells us that they were not even supposed to eat these animals, and now that he's being fed by these animals, and he's being sustained by a dribbling brook that eventually dries out. And so then from that point, God brought him to a, a woman that the scripture says to us, he commanded this woman that she would feed him. He commanded her, and, and uh, there when Elijah appears, he finds her gathering sticks because she's preparing for her suicide death, if you want to say. She's preparing for the last meal that she and her son will eat because there was such a famine in the land, such a famine in the land. And so there as she's, gathering sticks, Elijah appears. And so we journeyed through that last week and what that looked like. And her having to take that step of faith and, and prepare that meal for him in preparation of that meal, neither the oil nor the flour ceased to be provided because she had provided for the man of God, because she was obedient. And, and um, Elijah said in verse 14 of that same chapter, For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day of the Lord sends rain upon the earth. But then something happens. They are blessed every day to wake up to the provision of God's flour and oil. They are blessed that each time they sat at a meal together, there was provision for that meal with flour and oil. And then all of a sudden, the young boy in the house falls sick. And verse 17, we're going to read it from 17 to 24. It says, And after this, the son of the woman, mistri the, the mistress of the house, became ill, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took 
him from her arms and carried him to the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing your son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth, in your mouth is truth. What was wrong with the boy? He just took severely sick. Unlike Elisha, the Shunammite woman, the boy goes running to his dad, father, father, my head. We have no symptoms given to us except that after this, the son of the woman became ill and his illness was so severe, he, there was no breath. What took place that caused this young man to all of a sudden become ill to the point of death what all of a sudden has cut in in the midst of god's provision in your life in the midst of you feeding upon his provided word what in the midst of your journey with god just um, just suddenly cuts into your life and there becomes something that takes your breath away. You know, we sing the song, it's your breath in my lungs, so I pour out my heart. And I want to ask this question. If if God is the breath within us, if we have breath because he's so ordained that on our birth he breathed life into us, what was it that suddenly came upon this child that caused a death? What was it that now it was that she was preparing, she went from a place of preparing for their last meal, them being fed for many days. There's no there's no record of the symptoms there's no record of what exactly is wrong and I love when the scripture does that because it allows us to broaden our the expanse of our understanding into knowing that there are times I could be walking my walk of faith I could be reading upon the word of God and suddenly the enemy may try to oppress me the enemy may try to come in and bring discouragement and it may take my breath away it may take that very life of what was propelling me forward away and here this young man has a symptom that takes his life away it takes his breath away we can throw many things in there from today's understanding his breath was taken away did he have pneumonia perhaps did he have bronchular infection perhaps but we don't know what he had. He just went from a place of being sick to being dead. And in, um, we, we only know from uh, verse 12, if you want to say of the same chapter, um, and she 
And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in the jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go and prepare for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. There's no mention there that he was sick. We know that in that portion of the word, in that time, when, when Elijah first came, this boy was not sick. She was preparing for their death because there was a famine in the land and because she was in a place of insufficiency. But the word of the Lord came because Elijah said that the jar of flour would not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day the Lord sends the rain. And the word of God says in verse 16, the jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke. Why? Because they had eat, they ate for many days. They had eaten for many days. So this was not a place where the boy fell ill and sick and died because they, they were in lack of food. This was not a place in the boy, he, he was so weak for being without food. This was something that came upon the young man, and the scripture does not say. So it allows me to reflect upon myself. If something suddenly comes upon me, and I'm going to apply it spiritually speaking, okay? If something suddenly comes upon me to steal me of my joy in the Lord, to cause there to be a death from my joy in the Lord, then I could look to God to restore that breath. So we see that this boy is dead and she is shocked because this man of God has come and she referred to God as Elijah's God. She is from the pagan faith. And so perhaps as she sees God, God working through Elijah and the provision coming into, uh, into the house, perhaps there's a little bit of, of understanding that Elijah has a, a personal com uh, connection with his God. But this woman is in a place now of losing her son. So what does that mean to her? She already was a widow. Her son is now gone. So the, she is in a place of complete loneliness. She has lost all hope because now that son cannot grow older and provide for her. Because in those days, they could not provide for themselves. The women could not provide for themselves. It was the man of the house. So she would be in desperation because she wouldn't have a son that would then care for her as she got older. So she had no other children. We don't even know of any friends. When, the, when we are first introduced to her, we just know that she was a widow. We don't know that there's anybody else that come, can come alongside of her. For her to lose this son is to lose something of great value to her. Her, her life was wrapped up in the son, and now he is gone. So imagine the, the overwhelming sense of loneliness. Imagine her grief that would have hit her. Her life now would have been meaningless. It would have been just her alone. There is nothing for her. What did she have left to live for? For her it would have been nothing but disaster, disappointment. And so she looks to the only one in her life that could offer some form of hope. 
She looks to the only one that could offer some form of hope and she goes to him and she says, what have you against me, O man of God? Have you ever been in a situation where somebody, whoa, somebody has blamed you You have done good in their life and they've come to you and they have blamed you for something. This is what has happened to her. She is so grieved by the loss of her son. She goes to Elijah and she says, what have you got against me, O man of God? What have you got against me? We could relate that sometimes in our life, Not everything goes as we have planned. And in our anger, we could say a lot of things that are not God-ordained or not um, truly out of the outflow of of our heart, but out of the outflow of our frustration. She's upset with Elijah. And how does Elijah respond? He says, she says, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. She accuses him of having something against her. She accuses him that her, her, the sin in her life has now been remembered. And then she accuses him of the death of her son. She's talking out of pain, but there's something unique that she says, you have come to bring my sin to remembrance. What was her sin? The, the word doesn't say. The word of God does not say we can conclude maybe her sin was idol worship. Maybe she was guilty of pagan idolatry. What was her sin? But the Bible does not say in myself. I say to myself, okay, if the Bible does not say it, it is so that we cannot put a class system on something so that we could say, oh, well, see, now if you, if you do this sin... You could lose your child. If you do this sin, oh, that sin is as as equal as having a death in your family. So the, the word of God is careful not to put us into a place of drawing false conclusions, but it just calls it as the Lord just puts it forth as a sin. A sin. And we know one result. She is being convicted by what this sin is. She is convicted of whatever that sin is. And she's thinking because she is pagan, because she believes in in, in this Baal God, she is thinking that this is the result. She is thinking that obviously this is the cost of my sin. This is the result of my sin. My God is getting angry at me. And so since he is angry at me, my son has died. You see, that's the mindset of her idolatry. And so God doesn't allow us to fall into that same category by naming the sin. God keeps the sin nameless so that we could... Focus on what? The conviction that was taking place. You see, Elijah was in her house. What was the name of Elijah? What was the meaning of Elijah's name? Jehovah is God. 
Jehovah is God. No doubt while, while Elijah was there with her, no doubt when he would come down from his room that he would to have a meal with them, no doubt he would pray and give thanks to the Lord. Perhaps at the table, the young man would ask questions. Why do you always pray before you eat? Well, I want to thank Jehovah for his provision. Perhaps there were conversations around the table that were of God that would generate this woman to give thought to what Elijah was saying. That would generate, hmm, that perhaps as she was watching him after meals, he would disappear and go back to that room. What was he doing? Oh, if she listened carefully, she would hear him calling out to his God. She would hear him perhaps reading what he had available of the word at that time. So she had some form of a conviction rising up, but it wasn't there because of Elijah. It was there because of the presence of God that was with Elijah. The representation of who he was, Jehovah is God. She blamed Elijah. Sometimes we have that same problem of blaming the very people who help us, but it's not that it is Elijah. It makes sense to us. Maybe she's saying, what kind of man of God would save a woman and her son who prepared their very last meal and as they're eating it, what kind of man of God would promise her that the oil and the flour would not run out only to then take her son? What kind of God would do that? These are the kind of questions that perhaps were, were festering within her mind. But in all of this, it reveals to us there's a seeking in the heart. There's a seeking in the heart because she's saying, what do you have against me? If you tell me, tell me. I want to know what it is. What, what has gone wrong here? And so here she goes. And, and Elijah, I love his response to her. He says to her, give me your son. He doesn't argue with her. Wait, 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 slow down. I understand. I understand what it's, what's exactly going on. He, he does, there's no conversation. He does not try to defend himself. He does not try to defend God. He is there. He sees her with her child. And like a loving father, like a loving God, he says, give me your child. And in other words, give me your burden. You are carrying this thing that feels as though it has brought death in between you and your relationship with me. You are holding this thing and you're blaming me. You're saying, God, what have I done wrong? What have I done wrong to, to have this happen in my life? And God's saying to me, give me what's in your hand. Give me that burden that you are holding. You see, sometimes when we fall into that place where we see that separation, we don't have to blame God. God, where are you? We could see him saying to us, give me that burden. Give me that which is weighing you down full of questions 
That which is taking the life out of you, that which you look at and you find death in it, you see no life in it, give it to me. So Elijah takes this son, and where does he go with the son? He goes to the upper chamber, and there in the upper chamber, he does what? He, and he said to her, give me your son, and he took him from her arms and carried him up in the upper chamber where he lodged and laid on him on his own bed. What do I see happening here with Elijah? He takes the son and he lays him out on his bed and then he lays on top of the, uh, of the boy. There's a, a position of prayer called pro, pro, prostration where you lay yourself out before the Lord. This, pro, this position is a place to to define your full submission to God, your full humility before God. And in other words, I am laying myself out before you because I am fully inadequate. I'm laying myself out before you because in and of myself, I lack all the ability. I lack all the power. God, it is just only you. I am laying myself out in full submission before you. And he lays himself out over this boy. God, I can't do anything here. You brought me to this place of Zarephath. You brought me to this woman's house. I did as you, I, I obeyed your command. You're the one who said that you would bring me to Zarephath and there a woman would feed me. He lays himself before the Lord and he cries out to God. And as he said, as he cried out to God, he had two questions. The first question was, verse 20, and he cried out to the Lord, Oh, Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? Right there, it tells me of a man that's just laying it all out. Even he had questions when she brought her dead son to him. Even he was challenged by the fact that her son was dead. There might be others that might look at you and even be challenged. Why does it seem like he is just not as on fire as he always used to be? Why does she seem not to be inter interacting like she always used to be? There are others that may be battling alongside of you in prayer. They see the struggle. They don't know what it is, but they see that there's been a cut. There's been an interruption. There's been something that has brought a divide, a death. And so there Elijah carried that burden to the Lord and he laid the burden down. And he laid out and he says, I lay out powerless. God, why did you bring me to this woman? You've to sojourn with her only to take her, her son. He laid out his questions before God. In and of himself, he knew he had no answer. In and of himself, he knew there was nothing that he could do to bring that child back. He knew he was powerless as a man. And he only knew one answer. I could bring him to God. I can bring him to my God. My, thus far, my God has fed me. 
There's been a famine in the land, but up to this point, my God has supplied for me. Up to this point, he brought the ravens to me. When I woke up in the morning, wondering if there would be food, there a raven came. When I got thirsty, there the brook uh, bubbled. When the brook ran dry and I wondered, God, will there be for tomorrow? He, you, he commanded me, I will bring the son to him. What does God command us in Matthew chapter 6? Verses 5 to 6, when you pray, when you pray, go where? And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Elijah takes this boy and he goes to his upper room. There, that place that was a side, that place where he spent many times in prayer. You know the upper room in those days, that, that rooftop room was nothing spectacular. It was nothing spectacular. It was a place where they hung out their laundry. It was, it was just a room on the rooftop, literally. If the kids went to play, perhaps they went up to play there. They didn't have a family room in those days like we are all so privileged with in North America where the kids will play, perhaps. But they, 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 the rooftop was just a room where, where work was done, preparation was done. And if guests came in, that that's where they would be accommodated. And so here was Elijah's place of residence where he would sleep, where he would, where he would spend his time in praying, praying. And so he went and he prayed and he laid himself out before God. And he placed his body on, the, on, the, on top of the a child's body. It's not in a very, it's not in a, in a dirty way. In a way of saying, God, I submit to you. I can't bring this child back to life. I don't even understand what all you're doing here. But you know what you're doing here. That's that laying out. That's that laying out. Face down. Face, just in an, he, he had his face to the face of death. God, I don't understand. I don't understand why there's no life here. I don't understand why, why this boy has been taken away. God, have you brought calamity upon her by killing her son? God. And then he made another request. He stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. The very first resurrection in the word of God was right here in 1 Kings chapter 17. The very first resurrection. The very first where God reversed and undid that death and brought life is right here in, in 1 Kings chapter 17. Because there was a man that was willing to pray and lay upon that child's body and see that death would come 
into, excuse me, that life would come into him. We talked about a couple Sundays ago, who is, call, who is God calling you to carry to the Lord? Who is God calling you to carry to the Lord? And, and the friends that brought the, the friend to the Lord and removed a piece in the roof and lowered their friend to the Lord so that their friend could be healed. Elijah carried this child up to his room and he laid him out before the Lord and he laid on top of the Lord. You know, sometimes you're not just going to pray through your own spiritual um, famines in your life. You're not just going to pray through your own drought seasons, but there will be times where you will have to carry somebody else. There will be times where you will have to go in your room, shut the door, and pray to your father in secret. Not go around the church and chatting (laughs) about what seems to be the issue. God has prompted your heart that there is an issue. Go to your father, pray to your father, and your father who sees in secret. The next time you may see that person, they may be rejoicing. They may get up and share a testimony, and you'll be able to know that that is what you prayed through with the Lord. Who has God called you to carry before him? Can you imagine how... um, Okay. For Elijah, he knew... For the Jewish law, it was forbidden to touch a dead body. Imagine now knowing that law to lay on top of that dead body and to trust your God, to trust your God that he is going to bring life back into that body. That's the faith element that he knew within his heart. I'm going to go above the law right now. I'm going to go, actually I'm going to go against the law because God, I'm going to submit to you who is above all laws, who's above all authorities. God, I'm going to even submit to you by laying out prostate over this child and I'm going to surrender. And the child was saved. The boy was raised Why was he raised? Because verse 22 says that God listened to the prayer of Elijah. Your prayers matter. Your prayer matters. Whether you're driving in the car and you're praying for somebody that drops into your heart while you're driving, it matters. That prayer is valuable to God. God hears that prayer. He acts upon that prayer. Because you have responded to him dropping that person upon your heart. Who has God dropped upon your heart to pray for? I feel the need that we should pray for. Who has God called you to pray for? You don't know what God is doing with that prayer in that person's life. What healing is coming What spiritual revelation is coming? What strength is coming? What endurance? What provision of job? Who has God called you to carry 
And in your obedience, you carry and you bring them before the Lord. You lay out before God on their behalf. And God hears your voice. The boy's breath returned to him because God recognized the truth in Elijah's prayer. And in turn, God did something that had never happened before. He raised that boy from the dead. He raised that boy from the dead, the very first resurrection. We can believe in a miracle because we believe in a miracle-working God. If he could raise a dead boy, he could raise any of us. Sometimes we don't see these type of miracles in our days. I, I honestly am not here to say it's because we lack faith or we lack this or we lack that. There are some things we don't see because we haven't prayed enough or because we haven't, you know, committed to something. But I'm not saying that that is the case in every situation. God has the answer. But when we pray, but when we pray. And so Elijah brings the boy down to the mother. And the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God. Now I know. The unlimited oil supply that was there every morning and every dinner hour wasn't enough to know. The flour wasn't enough to know. Only upon the resurrection of your son, you now know that he is a man of God. Carry somebody before the Lord. Carry somebody before the Lord. Be obedient to that call of prayer because you don't know on what brink they need a revelation from God. They need a revelation or a breakthrough from God. Now I know that you are a man of God and what? That the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Elijah, verse 14, For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day of the Lord sends the rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. Now you believe that the word in Elijah's mouth was truth? Now? Now because there's been a resurrection? Yes, because what was dead within her, it wasn't just that her son was resurrected, but what was dead within her was also resurrected. You see, what was dead in her to the living God and given to the pagan God was also resurrected. You see, her pagan God delivered as they prayed and as they put their request before. But now, but now when there was a resurrection of her son, now that we see this God of Elijah gives life, now that we see Jehovah is God, it resurrected within her faith to believe the word of the Lord. Who do you have to carry before the Lord? Is it yourself? Is it another? What needs to be 
resurrected. What needs the breath of God to breathe life into it? Is it your prayer life? Is it your devotional life? What needs to be carried before the Lord and receive his pneuma breath breathed into it? What will it take for others that are watching your life? Now I know that your God is alive. You drive to work. You speak to your neighbors. You have your community of people around you that are not believers. What will it take in your life? What has to be resurrected in your life that will demonstrate that your God is alive? That's the question I say. Lord, what, will it, what do you have to do in me that when I'm just out and about in a store or I'm out and about in a community, or I'm driving on the way into work, what do you have to do in me that when I pray, or when I I am there, or when I speak something, that somebody is awakened to my God? That's what we learn from this Zarephath woman in the death of her son, that we need to look at ourselves introspectly and say, Lord, what do I need to do that I may be a true representation of those around me, that they could say to me, now I know that your God lives and the word in your mouth is truth. How many more would come to the kingdom if the words in my mouth resonated as truth to them? How many more would be drawn to want to pray to my God if the words in my mouth resonated as truth to them? Sometimes we, we meet people and, and uh, we say to them, oh, you're just such a breath of fresh air. Whenever you enter the room, everything just comes alive. Well, how can we be that everywhere we go that they say, every time you show up in a room, it's like God is here. It's, it, I, I can't explain it. I just feel something different. I don't know what it is. Every time you talk, it, it's just like whatever you say, just, it, it's so believable. I, I just want to listen to you for a long time. How could we learn from this story a different picture than we came expecting that a woman's son died and he was resurrected? This is how we learn. We apply it to this. Lord, how could I be that representation that when the world hears me, now I believe that everything, you, every word you speak is truth. Now I believe you're God. That whenever we speak, it's resurrection power in every life that is around us. It's resurrection life in every life that is around us. Father God, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for those that have, draw, that have joined us online, and I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would grasp a deeper truth into this message, that, Lord, we would understand that there are times we have to carry others 
into that place, into that room of prayer. There are times, oh God, we have to even carry ourselves into that room of prayer. That, Lord, where we can encounter your resurrection life into our bodies. Lord, help us to be that church that would be sensitive to pray for the needs of others, that would be sensitive to pray for our community, that our community would see and know that our God lives, our God is alive and true. Spirit of the living God, revolutionize our prayer times. Revolutionize our prayer times not to be just something that sounds spectacular not that our prayers would sound lofty and sound great but that Lord our prayers would penetrate the heavens and that Lord because we have prayed as Elijah prayed you heard and you listened and God you resurrected that boy would you hear our prayers tonight as we transition into that time of prayer, would you hear our prayers tonight and bring resurrection life into our church congregation, into our community, into our province, into our nation. In the name of Jesus, we pray.